I, I want to talk about, I was thinking about well, well, I do decorating. And it's not a job where you're having to think. If, if you're doing figures, you probably have to think all day. You can't start thinking about everything else, can you? And if you're teaching, you can't start thinking about the Lord in the middle of a history lesson, because it'll get you off. The, well, you can, but, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but decorating, you're cutting in, you're rolling. And so the Lord speaks to me. I'm very privileged that I have hours on my... People say, why haven't you got a radio on? I say, I don't need a radio. As Dan says, he's, got, he's connected up. <laughs> he's got his... He's got his Wi-Fi on. <laughs> and we have our wi- I have my Wi-Fi on in a week as I'm rolling away and painting. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, every time I come in contact with fish, there's a miracle. And I thought, oh. So I want to look at but these things. You see, let's look at Matthew 4. We're going to start there. We're doing a lot of scriptures this morning. Some of them I'll just read them out. And we'll pass over, because if we turn to everyone, we won't, we won't get everything, all right? Matthew 4, 18 and 19. Well, we can, we can start in 17, really. From this time, this is after John the Baptist, and he'd been baptised, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, I can remember, when I was young, this was a great gospel message. Follow me. And they say, they, they, um, they, they Jesus just spoke to them, and they just went and did it immediately. And I thought, that's amazing. But that ain't true. He, he, there was a whole lot went on before Jesus said, follow me. And that's what happens in our lives, all right? So let's go back, and we're going to go back into Luke. We're going to look at Luke 3 to start with. Three plus sixteen. Are we, are we just back to where we're talking about John the Baptist um, in Luke three, verse three? And John the Baptist came into the country about Jordan, preaching baptism of repentance and remission of sins. So he started with the same thing Jesus did, and in in verse sixteen he says the same thing. John said, "I baptize you with water." But one mightier than I comes, whose latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose, who shall baptise you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So this is where the beginning started. Now let's go on into John's Gospel. This is part of John's preaching. Let me just, John the Baptist preaching. We're going to John's Gospel. Verse 35. Now Jesus had been baptised. John 1 Sorry, John 1.35. So I know where I am, sorry. <laughs> as long as I, John 1.35. So let, let's, let's look and see what happened here. 
So we have John the Baptist bearing record about Jesus being baptised and he said, I didn't know who it was until the Holy Spirit. He said, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon this man, you'll know who it is. And so the next day he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then the next day, John stood, this is John the Baptist and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And two disciples, now these are John's disciples, heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following us, and said, What seek you? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is me, Master, where are you staying? And he said, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt, and they abode with him that day, and it was about the tenth hour. And I don't get caught. It's not, not in the evening. It's ten o'clock in the morning. This is Roman time in John's Gospel. Really important to remember. So he spent all day with them. Then he meets Nathaniel, further on down here. Um, oh no, further on. They went, they went, sorry, we get back down a bit further. Then they find, they went and spayed with him all day. Then they went and, John went and spoke and they followed him. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and he comes and goes and gets Simon Peter. He said, he says, we found the Messiah. And they brought him to Jesus. And Jesus beheld him and said, thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, they should be called Cephas, which is mean a stone. And then they go on. He went into Galilee. And then had Nathaniel meets him, meets him and he saw him. I remember he saw him under the, under the tree and it really got to him. Jesus knows how to get into people's lives. You, know, you had to say some one thing to him and he was in. He got him. And he saw. And then it says on the third day, the disciples are with him. There's a marriage in Cana. So the disciples at the marriage, it's just all happening before. He says, come and follow me. So we get the marriage of Cana. Then, um, he goes up. Uh, this is the beginning of the miracles. And then he went in verse 12 in chapter 2 of John. He goes up to Capernaum. Now let's meet him in Capernaum in Luke 4. So, so you find he's, he's building a relationship with these disciples. They're with him. They see the miracles at the well, at the, at the, at the wedding. They might not have known all what had happened, but they, they must have tasted the new wine. They knew something was going on with this Jesus. So then in Luke 4, we come 31. They came to Capernaum, and he taught on the Sabbath day, and they were astonished at his doctrine. And in the synagogue there was a man which had an evil spirit and Jesus cast it out. We can't go all to that. Then he rose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon Peter's house. So he's staying in Peter's house. They'd already gone and stayed where Jesus was staying. Now, they, now he's coming to stay in their house. And then he's, he's Simon's mother, his wife's mother, his mother-in-law is ill and Jesus prays for her and she's immediately healed and carries on feeding them. It's a miracle in your own house by Jesus. Wonderful. And then, when the sun was setting, all that had any sick and any disease, they brought him unto him, he laid his hands on them, and they were all healed. Now imagine being that outside your house. They all bringing all these people to your house. Now what effect do you think that had on them? This is before he calls them. You see, we think that when Jesus calls us, he just calls us, but no, he prepares us. He gets under our skin. He gets inside us, like he did in the Daniel. Yeah, he does. Can he? 
He gets to know them. It's all about relationship. It's not just going doing a job, follow me and become a fisher of men. It's a relationship he's after. You see? Right. Then, he preaches in Simon's boat in chapter 5. And this is where we come up, we get up to the bit where we talk about becoming fishers of men. And it came to pass, the people pressed on him as to hear the word of God as he spoke by Lake Gennesaret, or Galilee. Two ships standing by, and the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Listen to that bit. And he entered into the ships, and he entered into the ships with Simon's ship. Well, with Simon, he's getting it, any. And he prayed that he would thrust him out a little from the land. So he must have been sitting in the ship with him. He sat in the ship with him. And he sat down and he taught the people from the ship. When he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch it into the deep and let your nets down for a draught. That's not a draught bitter, by the way. (laughs) And Simon answering said, Master, we've toiled all night and we've taken nothing. You see? Now, I don't even know whether Jesus knew that they toiled all night. All he knew was he told them to put the nets down and you'll get some fish. And they said, nevertheless, they let that thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, that their nets broke. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, and they began to sink. You know, that's an amazing fact. It was so, it's a huge catch, the ships were sinking. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me for I'm a sinful man. You see, when the miracle happens in your life, in your workplace, where everything about your life, you're a fisherman, in the whole of your identity, he comes in and puts his finger right on it. (laughs) Didn't he? And Simon Peter fell down, worshipped him as a sinful man. You see, he, he got his hand on that man's life to lead the church. And it's the same. Every time God has to do something, a miracle... He gets somebody and he meets them. And they end up on the floor. Ezekiel. Moses. All these people. Lots of people in the bar. Especially Paul. He gets them on the floor. Shows them his glory and they end down on the floor. They realise they're they're nothing. It gets them in the right place, doesn't it? Well, you see, if you notice we were washing their nets, if we go over into Matthew 4, 21 again, we see something interesting here. Back to the Matthew 4, 21. He said, follow me, we read that before, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left the nets and followed him. That's, 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 Peter and Andrew and his brother and John. And then going on from there, he saw two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. Why were they mending their nets? Because they just had them all broken. (laughs) They were mending their nets, and you can imagine it. They're sitting there, quietly mending their nets, and they're thinking. It's going round and round in them. He's getting inside. He's getting inside them. They're sitting mending nets. It's like, you know, when your, your hands are doing something, your brain's not having to work particularly well, 
and they're sitting looking at these nets all broken, and they're thinking about the fish, thinking about the man in the boat. And so as soon as he says to them, come and follow me, off they go. You see, that's how he works in people's lives. When we're going out to preach the gospel and letting down the nets, he's already done all that bit. Like when Dan went and talked to this man, God had already been doing something in him, hadn't he? You see? Let the net down, up he came. Because the Holy Spirit works in our lives behind the scenes. He's like this bloodhound of heaven who comes to get us. He's going to get us. He's going to get you to heaven. He's going to get hold of you. You can't escape when God's got his hand on your life. Really can't. <laughs> because he's a good God. So here he makes a relationship. And he makes a connection with people in their, in their lives, where they are. Let's go on to the next little story. In John 6, 1 to 4. I'm still struggling with my voice at the moment. But we'll be fine. You see, I wanted to show you that when we be to be fishers of men, it's not our work. You see, it's leaning on the everlasting arms. It's not just the everlasting arms of I'm resting in the, you know, in the finished work of Christ, but there's the work he's doing anyway. We can lean on him because he's already done it. He's doing it and working in other people's lives. It's not us. You see, it's, it's not us having to, get to be fishers of men. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's the key. I will make you fishers of men. He makes us fishers of men. It's his job. All we have to do is follow. And we become what he calls us to do. Right, John 6, 1 to 14 is a very famous, well-known passage. It's the only um, uh, miracle which is in all, all the Gospels. Um, Jesus had been, he'd heard about John the, John the Baptist being killed and he wanted to go off into a quiet place by himself. He goes off into a quiet place and everybody follows him. <laughs> so he, he has compassion on them. In other, if you read another passage, he had great compassion on them. And he, 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 he went up and he, he sat in this mountain and he, in verse 3 and there he sat with his disciples. Um, and the Passover, the feast of the Jews was nigh and when Jesus lifted up his eyes he saw a great company come unto him and he said he'd been speaking to them if you look in other places he'd been speaking to them and preaching to them and they'd, they'd had, they came and they had no food and he said Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him and he said unto Philip when shall we buy bread that these may eat this he said to prove him so Jesus is always up to something. He himself knew what he would do. So the father had already shown him what he was going to do. And one of his, uh, and Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient. Everyone then may take to eat. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, there's a lad here, he's got five barley loaves and two small fishes. And Jesus said, wait, just sit them down. There's not much. He said, there's not enough, is there? And he said, just sit them down. Now, if you'll notice in all these power, all these stories, he always involves the disciples. It's not just him doing it. It's not just a miracle where he says, get up, all that. They have to do something. And that's what it's part about, about being an evangelist. You have to do something. But he does the work. 
and there's much grass in his place. The men sat down, about 5,000. And he took the loaves, and when he'd given thanks, he distributed it to the disciples, and the disciples to them that sat down, and likewise of the fish as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Now, God doesn't have anything to be lost ever in our lives. They gather them up. Now, when they gathered them up, they filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above them that had eaten. What an amazing thing. But you see, Jesus was getting at them. They'd already been sent out as pairs with the, with, you know, and healing people, but they started to relax back a bit. And he said, oh, no, no, come on, I, can, I want you to keep moving on. And I just imagine that he said nothing is to be lost. That's, there's another whole sermon in about, but there's all these fragments of bread laying around, and they each got a basket, the 12 disciples, and they're each going around picking up the bread. They're all on their own, and the basket's getting heavier and heavier. You, they're thinking. They're thinking. It's enough. Whatever you have is enough. You may only have five loaves and, and two fish, but it's enough. If there had been five million there, it would have been enough. You see, he was trying to show them that it was enough. There's only a little tiny basket, but every person came back with a bigger basket. And as they were walking around picking it up, he was getting at them inside. I'm enough. I'm enough. I can supply everything for your life. I'm enough for everything. That's what he doesn't want anything lost. Why didn't he want anything lost? Because the bit that was being have you noticed there was no fish being picked up? It was the bread. It was a place of green. Now they said where it was, it was an area where there was lots of wells and there were springs coming up. They found they know where it is. It was the springs coming up and it was a watered area. But there was no food. It had water, but it didn't have any food. Let's go on into the next thing. Something we can learn here in verse 26 of chapter 6. He said, they missed it. They came next day, they all came to him wanting food. And he said, verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, because you eat the loaves and were filled. Don't labour for the meat which perisheth, but that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man should give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. You see, and then further on he says, I'm the bread of life. That's why he said he didn't want them, the bits left out there. Don't want them left to one side. Nothing shall be lost. Because it was talking, it was a picture of the bread of life. It was the bread of life to them. And what happens is when we come to people, people have all sorts of needs when we come with the gospel. But the greatest need is salvation. The greatest need is for them to feed on the living bread. That's the greatest need. I, I, I was shocked a few weeks ago. I, I saw this lady walking down there, she was hobbling down the road, and I thought, oh, the Lord needs to touch her body. And I thought, and I felt, no, the Lord needs to touch her life. Not just her body. It's very easy for us to be sympathetic with people. But the main thing is the main thing, is the gospel of salvation. You can feed people and fill a church. You know, you can fill a church with telling people you can have this, that, and everything. But as soon as you, you know, but we need to feed them on the gospel, on the word of God, 
on the living bread. That's what we're there. We need to give people, when we stick to them, the living bread. Now, we can be compassionate about their physical need and all the other things, but they're only temporary. They're going to a lost eternity where they're going to be separated from the living God forever. And that's a big, big, big responsibility we have. So we want to feed people on Christ. But we have enough. There's enough in Christ in you. Whatever you have is enough to feed the people when you're talking to them out on the street, out in your know, with your neighbour. Matthew 17, the next little fish story. These are just in order as they come in, the, in Jesus' life. I've looked at the... You can know you get these little lists of how everything fits together in the, in the Gospels, and they're really helpful. It's very helpful for me on this side. Just, they're just coming in order as they appear in the life of Jesus, not in any particular order. Matthew 17, 24, 27. When they were come to Capernaum, they received tribute money. They that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth your master pay tributes? And uh, he said yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their children or strangers? And Peter said unto him, Of strangers. And he said, well, we're the, then the children are free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. We don't, offend, we, you know, we don't go out to offend people when we preach the gospel. Go to the sea, cast a hook, and take up a fish. The first that cometh up, and when they have opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that, that take and give unto them for me. There's a fish. Now, this speaks of a number of things. This is a one. I saw this and I thought, I bet that's a silver fish. <laughs> no, no, not the fish. I mean, <laughs> they're, not a bit, they're not big enough. You wouldn't get much of a coin in a silver fish. <laughs> no. I said, I bet that coin's a fish. And it is. It's a, it, in my Greek, it says stator. It's a stator. It's a silver coin. Now, what does silver speak of in, in, when you talk about types in the Bible? Redemption. There's redemption in the fish. It's in the fish. You see? There's redemption in that fish that God has got his eye on. There's a, he, that man, that fish has been paid for. The price has been paid. In fact, if you look at the stator, it paid miles over the top of what the price should be and he should have paid tribute. Jesus paid miles over the price for us and for those we talked to. He paid for them. He paid for them. But not only, you see, sometimes we have the net which we throw down and we get all sorts of fish. But there's another, another side to the story. This time, it's not a net, is it? It's a rod, a little bit of string and a hook on the end. And it comes down, and out of a whole shoal of fish, picks one. That's a miracle. That's the miracle of God. He's choosing. Now, this is something a lot of Christians don't like. They don't like the sovereignty of God that he chooses one and doesn't have the rest. But that's God's choice. He's righteous. Whatever he says is right. In fact, look at it from the other side. Why should he choose anybody? Why should he choose anybody? None of us deserve anything. He doesn't need to choose any of them. 
It is only his mercy and his grace that he chose anybody. And his great mercy and grace, he chose me. So he comes down with his little fishing hook and he catches us, those who he's called, those he's got his name on. Here's some verses. You see, people don't like God like that. But he's a just God. He's a just God. And what he says is always right. You did not choose me, I chose you. John 15. No man comes to me except the Father draws him. John 6, 44. All the Father gives me will come to me and I won't cast him out. He said, well, I hope whosoever will can come. Yeah, but it's only because he draws them. When you become a Christian, you think you chose him. And when you, become, when you start reading the Bible, you find he chose you. <laughs> it wasn't anything to do with you. It was him. And that's what makes it easy, leaning on the everlasting arms. He's the one who picks the person out. He's the one who does the work. If you saw, he got hold of those disciples. He got inside each one of their lives, every one of them. Something about every one of those lives, he got inside and started working in them. And that's what's happened. When every dobby, everybody he's called, he gets inside their lives and starts working on them. Starts working on them. And eventually they come to him. You, he's talking about his sheep, right? Now, we, I always thought the sheep are ones who believed, but it's not. He says, you believe not because you're not my sheep. Don't become sheep because you believe. You're sheep because you're called. And then you'll believe. He says, just don't believe because you're not my sheep. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? I, I'm part of his sheep because I've believed. Wow, isn't that wonderful? We're chosen in him, which has been said so many times this weekend, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That's in one, Ephesians 1, 1.4. John 1, 13. Born, not born of the will of man, nor the will of the flesh, but born of the will of God. This, this is such a secure. We were talking about this. I was talking about Abraham, who God chose Abraham, put his finger on his life. He, he wasn't like anybody. You see, before they all walked, remember they walked with God? Abraham, um, Noah walked with God. Adam walked with God. Enoch walked with God. But it says God appeared to Abraham because he wasn't walking with God. He appeared to him. And then he got him walking with God. He walked through the land. He, he just picked him out. Wonderful God. Serve God just like the others. And he said, well, God does to us. He comes and he picks us out of all the crowd. And you think, why me, Lord? Why me? It's a mystery. It is a mystery. But that's when we go out to talk to people, he's put his hand on people. And we know, like the chap in the, in the shop we were talking about, weren't you? He's put his hand on that man's life. And you can see sometimes, Luke is, Luke is much more, people have more of, some people have more of a discernment of these things, and they just see the hand of God on somebody's life. Because that's what God's doing. And so it makes it easy when it's God's way of doing it, when God does it like that, doesn't it? So I'm encouraging you for evangelism to become fishers of men. But it's all his side, really. We just do as we're told. We cast the net out, we put down the, fi- put down the little fish. We... Get, we, we break the bread, give it to the people. Whatever he asks us to do, do it, he said. That's what he said to the thing, isn't it? Hallelujah. The next little story about fish is in Luke 24. This is after Jesus was raised from the dead. Hallelujah. 
She wants us, all of us, even me, to be a fisherman. I don't, I like it being playing the guitar. I don't find, I find it quite so easy to go and talk to people. But you see, I, I, your sister got affected, didn't she? See, I was just working around Alan's sisters, and she just got affected somehow. I don't know how, what, what happened, but it did, didn't it? It, it, it? Started reading the Bible yeah. for the first time in her life. Yeah, you see? Yeah. And I, did, I hadn't said anything to her. I just worked in her house and put some doors on, did a bit of painting. <laughs> it's not us. It's not us. It's him. It's him. It's him who does it. We try so hard, we make a big mess of it. And he does it. It's so easy. I want you to see it from his point of view. That's why I'm saying he chose people. He does it. He gets inside people's lives. And he just does it. And you think, I don't know how he does that. I walk along the street and people start smiling at me. And I think, why are they smiling at me? (laughs) They look miserable. But it's not me. It's him in me. You see? That's the secret. The secret's him in me. No, I'm nothing. I know I'm nothing. If I start thinking I'm anything, I'll get messed up. (laughs) Let's go on to the next. Luke 24. Jesus is raised from the dead. He's appeared to two people on the road to Emmaus. And he breaks bread with them. And they go, oh, it's him. It's him, it's Jesus. And he disappears. So they finish their bread and they go racing back to Jerusalem and tell everybody, he's risen. <laughs> and as he's there, Jesus appears. Let's get this. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, peace be unto you. And they were terrified and are frightened, and supposed they'd seen a spirit. Well, some of them had already seen Jesus and spoken to him. Peter had earlier on. Maybe it was the whole crowd. I think it was probably the bigger crowd, the whole crowd of them. And he said to him, why are you troubled? Why do your thoughts arise in your heart? Behold, my hands, my feet, it is I myself. It's me. Handle me, see. For a spirit has not got flesh and bones as she as you see me have. So he said, I'm not a spirit. Touch me. Touch me. So he said to Simon, like, uh, Thomas, touch me. Put your fingers in. It's me. It's me. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they, they believed not for joy, they still couldn't quite... He says, come on, have you got anything to eat? And they said, well... And they gave him a piece of boiled fish and a honeycomb. And here's where's the fish in. Now, where's the miracle? Well, the miracle is the resurrected life. It's a person resurrected, a real person. A real person who lived a real life. That's what's wonderful, isn't it? It's a real man. And that real man sits now in heaven on our behalf, working to get these people in. He said, I didn't lose any. He said, I made sure all those ones I had here on earth came to me. He's going to make sure all the others do too. Spurgeon used to say, if... I knew those who were called, and you put your hand on. If you, if you, Lord, if all you do is put a nice yellow stripe down their back, I'd lift up their shirt tails and look and preach to them. But he said, because I don't know, so I just preach to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) But that's that's where God works, isn't he? Anyway, that's going back to where we were before. He was a real, real man, a real man. 
you see. And that's the thing. We, we're dealing with reality. We're not dealing just with a spirit. We're dealing with a real man. We're dealing with a real life. A real life. A man who's lived the real life and who he says, come and walk the way I walked. Come and live how I lived. Come and live in me. The resurrected life, which we can have. It's a real life. It's not a spiritual, airy-fairy life. It's real. It's a real life. I want to read a little bit of what I've got. Right, let's go back to... Oh, yes, then we go, we go further on. Then he says a few things. Yeah, so we're going to get... Sorry, I'm trying to not careful. He said, These words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which was written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise the, from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So we get the same story, the same message. John the Baptist, Jesus, when he started, he said, you do the same. Repentance and remission of, for remission of sins. Repentance, turning to God. Repentance is not just change. Some people say it's just changing your mind and that's all you have to do. No, it's a whole turn of life. It's leaving everything behind that was before and turning fully from one to something else. That's how um, Vine describes it. He's a very good Greek scholar. Turning from one, turning to. That's what we talk to people about. Turning from the old life to the new resurrected life. Getting them to feed on the living bread. That's what we preach. But another thing he says happened. He says, you have been witnesses of these things. You've been witnesses of these things. And we saw that in the beginning of John, John's uh, letter and Peter's letter. We're witnesses of these things. We've seen these things. We've seen them. Behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So he had to wait until he had that power. He had to go up to heaven, as Gordon was saying, he had to go into heaven and send the power down. And we become witnesses. Now, that's what happens when we get the Spirit come, we become witnesses. He says, he says didn't it say in, um, well, there's a, pro- well, there's a promise of the Spirit, which is in Isaiah 44, which talks about the Spirit coming and us becoming witnesses. That's in Isaiah 44, verse, in verse 3 and verse 8. We become witnesses. He says, I'll make you witnesses. The Spirit of the Lord will be upon you. And in, we can look at it in Acts 1, which we know very, very well. And so I love this bit. I love this bit. But when we... It says, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts here. He didn't say to them, Go and be witnesses, or go and witness. We're going at the shirt on the street to witness. No, he says, I'll make you witnesses. You shall be witnesses. What's a witness? You speak of what you've seen, what you know, what your life is. And the Holy Ghost does it. It makes you a witness. And that's what, what happened with... It's just the, witness. the Holy Ghost does it. He makes us witnesses. He makes us... When you're full of the Holy Ghost, you become a witness to the power and the life of God. You really do. There's a little promise in... Um, 
Oh, no, let's read a little bit. Where, should I read that bit next? Ooh. Yeah, Luke 3.16. Let's see what that says. Sometimes I don't know quite what I've written down. <laughs> oh, that was the bit you said, I will baptise you with water. That was the bit we read earlier on, what John the Baptist said. And we'll be baptised with the Holy Ghost and with the fire of God on our lives. And that's the promise of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist in, in John 1 said, this, there was a man sent from John, from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness, to bear witness, to show people the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness to the light. So that's what John the Baptist was sent to do. He came to prepare the way for the Lord. And in the same way, we become witnesses to prepare the way of the Lord in other people's lives. He preached repentance. He preached just by his life. Everything about him, we preach repentance. But we preach it in our lives, everything. We prepare people for the way of the Lord. So he comes into their lives. We, through us, he prepares us. He prepares people through us. He does it. But he does something more. If you read in, um, in Luke 7... He's talking about John the Baptist who came and do this. Luke 7, 28. He said, this is talking, Jesus talking about John the Baptist. He said, this is he whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before my face, which shall prepare the way before thee. I say unto thee, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. There isn't. All the prophets, there's not a greater one than John the Baptist. But, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. The least, however least you are, you're greater than John the Baptist. Why? Let's look at John 14. It's a little interesting little thing. Philip is asking, Jesus is talking about going to the Father, and he's, and he's, he's saying, well, we don't know the Father. Show us the Father. In verse, in 14, 8, Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip, that he that hath seen me hath seen the Father? How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father's in me? The words I speak, I don't speak from myself, but the Father dwells in me. He does it. He speaks the word. He does the work. Believe in me, and I am, I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else just believe for the very work's sake. So if you can't believe it, just believe what I did, what I said, and it happened. Just look at what happened. They become a witness to you. These are the witnesses. There's seven of them in John. Signs to show people that they might believe. All right, there's seven of those in John. And he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall do also, and greater. Now the word, it says the word, there's the word works in there, but in the Greek it's not there. He shall be greater than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. Now that's really important. Because like, what is this greater? What's this greater? Is it more miracles? Is it more people? No, it's not that at all.
before the cross, they all looked forward to something coming. And in Hebrews, they looked for better things. They looked for a better hope. They looked for a better testament, that's in 7.22. They looked for a better covenant, that's in 8.6. They looked for better promises, that's in 9.30. They looked for a better resurrection and a better city. They were always looking for something better. Why? Because what they had, there was more. There was something better coming, something greater, something bigger coming. There was something bigger coming. That's before Calvary. After Calvary, I'm going to read a little bit by a chap called John Piper. After he had gone to the Father and sent the power of the Holy Spirit, his disciples could preach and give witness to the new life by faith in the already crucified Lord, the already risen Lord, the already reigning Lord, and the already indwelling Lord. It changed. It was something Jesus couldn't do before the cross. That was to cause people to be born again and live in him. That's the greater thing. Because you see, the great, can you see where it is in here? Look. He says, believe you not that I'm in the Father, and the words that I speak, I speak not of myself. Believe me, I'm in the Father, and the Father in me. He's talking about the union between him and the Father. And he says, I'm going to come and do something greater. That's what the greater is. The greater is what he prayed for in John 17. 8, 17. I don't pray for these alone, but I pray for them that believe on their word, that it may be one as, I, as they, O Father, are in me. I in them, that they also may be one in me, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. There's the gospel going out. The world may believe that thou sent me. Why? Because we're so one with him. Look, the glory which thou gavest them, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. Now, it's not just talking about oneness of us in together in the glory meetings. It's talking about us oneness with the Father and with the Holy Ghost and with Jesus. There's such a oneness. We've been married so together that we can't be deciphered which between the two. When you've seen him, the Father, you've seen the Son. And when you've seen the Son, you've seen the Holy Ghost. And when you've seen the Holy Ghost, you've seen the other two. And that's what he's done with us. So when people see you, if you're living full of the Holy Ghost, they see the Father. They see the Son. They see the working of the Holy Ghost. It's him. That's the life he wants us to live. It's so full of him, that's what it's about, abiding in him. That you may have great works, greater works, bigger works, more. Because he lives in you. It's all about him coming. That's why he had to go to glory so he could send his Holy Spirit and do it in us. And it's, as we saw before, it's a real thing. It's not just a spiritual wishy-washiness. This is absolutely 100% real. As real as they could touch Jesus. That's how real it is. He wants to do in our lives. That's, the life, that's what he wants to do in our lives. He becomes an indwelling, an indwelling person. And we become lost in him. We talk about it. Lost in you, Lord. Just lost in him. Everything about us and him becomes one thing. And then, that means, so whatever you ask, if you're so lost in him, that all your 
thoughts are what his thoughts, then whatever you ask, it happens. Because you ask out of him. That's asking in his name. That's really asking in his name. It's not just sticking on his name on the end. That's asking in his name. It's coming out of the life inside you. You see. It's not because it's when you're taken over by him and he's doing it all and you're under his authority. It's all to do with his authority you're under, you know. It really is. He's when he comes in and takes over everything and we become so one with him. Wow. And it shines through us. Isn't it wonderful? That makes it so easy. But the trouble is, it's getting the old man out, isn't it? You see, I said about the new life and the old life. I, was taught that, I said to Luke about this before. He said, it's like the two animals. I'll take two animals, a cat and a dog. If you dress a cat up like a dog and treat it like a dog, it's still a cat. If you take a cat, a dog, and treat it like a cat, whatever you do, it's still going to be a dog. A dog is a dog, and a cat's a cat. Now, just say, for argument say, the dog is the old life and the cat's the new life. Trouble is, it's the cat living in the old dog. <laughs> the new life living in the old one, and that's why we have to reckon it dead. We have to do that bit. He didn't say, I reckon you dead. Well, he does, but he says, you've got to reckon yourself dead. So you've got to reckon the old dog life who wants to run after all the other dogs and do all the things that dogs do. <laughs> you have to be the cat life. And I'm not saying there's anything, I'm just using it as an illustration, all right? The life of God, but the new life inside us. We have to ignore the old life and not put it down. That was a little aside, to be right. But so what he's done, he's put his new life in us. His life is wonderful. If I could just get hold of this myself, <laughs> more. <laughs> he's speaking to me as well. He has the the indwelling resurrection life living inside of us because he went to the Father and then he could send the anointing down. And that's what changes us. That anointing changes us. That's why he had to go to the Father. So he 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 went to the Father and sat in glory and sits there enthroned in heaven, takes up his place in heaven, but he sends his Holy Spirit down to us to cause us to sit in the same place. He's a wonderful God. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? He's chosen us and he's set ourselves up next to him. It's just, it's just beyond, beyond belief what he's done for us, you know. I, I just run out of words sometimes. What he has done and the glory. If we leave and stop talking about our salvation and get onto all the little frivolous things, we get ourselves lost. But if we carry on talking about what he's done, yes. keep our eyes. Jesus said, I just, I just preached to Christ him crucified. Christ and him crucified. The glorious Christ. Him. And we'll keep keep on the the narrow way. Right, we're coming to the last little fish story. (laughs) John 21. Hallelujah. Jesus said to them, go over to Galilee and I'll meet you there. Well, you know what Peter's like. And they were... Uh, this, is, this is how it says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again at the Sea of Tiberias or Galilee. And on this wise, he showed himself. So now he's just giving 
going to pray say what, he's, what he did. This is, how, this is the story. As they were together, Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other dis- his disciples. And Simon Peter said to them, I go fishing. So he couldn't wait. <laughs> He'd been waiting for Jesus, and Jesus hasn't turned up yet, so I'll just go and do what we normally do. Let's go fishing. And they said to them, all right, we'll come with you. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night, they caught nothing. <laughs> That's what happens when you do your own thing. <laughs> it's a big lesson there. Won't go there. <laughs> and when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. Then said Jesus unto them, have you any meat? Have you caught anything? And he said, no, we ain't caught anything. And he said, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. And they cast therefore and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fish. Therefore the disciples whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, that's John, he says to Peter, it's the Lord. And Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord and he got his fish's coat under him and, cast, and he cast himself into the sea and went to see him. This is a wonderful little story. This is what happens when we try and do it and we go fishing on our own, on our own strength. But when he comes, boy, you can hardly get the net up again. Now, there's a little interesting part here about this. Why was it the right side? Why put it on the right side? Well, the church, my church knows I've talked about this before. Why on the right side? Well, who's the nautical here? What's the left side of the ship called? Port side. And what's the right called? Starboard. Now, why, why starboard? Well, starboard is a corruption of the word steerboard. So, it was, they didn't have the nodder at the back, they had it at the side. So they would steer from that side. And then the port side, it's the side they would go against the port. Because if you went against the other way, A, the steering board would get in the way, or it would get damaged. So the port side was the side they went up to the port. So when they fished, well, it's not what, you don't want to throw the nets over that side because he's sitting there steering the boat. And it's all going to get all tangled up. So let's throw it, we throw it on the left side, on the port side, because that's the easy way of throwing the net in. You see? But he says, throw it on the right side. We don't do that. We go it out the side or out the back. We don't throw it on the right side because the man's sitting there trying to steer the ship. But you see, when Jesus comes along, he tells you to do it his way. <laughs> it's always wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Alan said, oh, Lord's awkward. I said, I think... No, it's not Lord who's awkward, it's Alan. <laughs> we're out, we're the awkward ones. God's not awkward, he's just always right. <laughs> he says, put it on the wrong side, on the right side where the steering board is. You see, and that's what happens. We think we know how to do evangelism. We have all these books on how to do this and that and the other. All you need is to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And then he'll tell you whatever side to put the, put the boat, put the net, and it'll come up full. Because he has his way of doing things. You see, the church has wanted to preach the gospel by watering it down. Yeah. You see, we think, oh, we can get more people in if we do this, if we do it this way. Yeah, let's do it, let's put, keep putting the net over this side, it's the easy side. But what did Jesus say? He said, you pre- preach repentance and remission of sins. And the old preachers used to say, there's no point throwing seed out if it's just going to go on the ground. You've got, you've got to get a plough on it. You've got to play the ground first. 
You've got to play with the ground. You've got to play with the heart. If I get God to, you know, you've got to preach the plant, that God can get the seed in. I know he does the preparation, but you've got to get the seed in the ground. You see, we've, we've abandoned. We think, oh, well, if we just have lots of music and loud music, the kids will come along. If we have this and that, and all the things that we, they tell you to do, and Jesus said all you need to do is be filled with the Holy Ghost and preach what he said to preach. And if you go and look at them, they just what they preached. Yeah. Got stood up on the day of Pentecost, he said, repent. Got 3,000. You see, do it his way. It's all right having our way, but do it his way. Now, it might not, I'm not saying we go up to people and say repent. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But we have to have the idea that that's what he wants to do. He wants to plow that person's life up so the seed can come in. They need to know. They need to turn their life around. They can't just say, Jesus, come and be my friend and I can carry on living as I like and just go to these meetings and jump up and down and just get myself happy. That's not what it's about. It's about laying, picking up the cross every day. It's laying your life down daily. And that's what it's about. And if you tell people that's what it's about, then they know what it's about. And they can say, well, I want it or I don't want it. But people don't know. And this is um, thing we said. If you just preach a gospel where you tell people by saying a little tiny prayer with their experience that they've become a Christian, then you inoculate them from the true gospel. Because when they hear the gospel, they say, oh, well, I'm a Christian. Don't need to hear that. That was very, I found that really hard. But I think he's right. You see... God's way is the right way. Always is. Even though it might be marching around a city seven times, walking across a, a river when it's in full flood, all the things that God does, he does it in the impossible way, so he gets the glory. And it's the impossible way. You know when you talk to people, oh, they don't want to change their life. It needs a miracle. And so all these ones, they're miracles. Every one of these, he involves his disciples, he involves us, and he does a miracle, but he does it. He wants to involve the disciples, he wants to involve us, but he wants to do a miracle. And it's a miracle. I love the song about, you know, he's done a, it's a miracle life. He said, what is that? Um, Thank you, Lord, for the miracle. The miracle, you know, you, you miracle you created heaven and earth, a miracle you created me. It's the greatest miracle. It's the greatest miracle ever. The greatest miracle ever. The renewed creation is the greatest miracle. Uh, Washer says, when he created heaven and earth, it's really struck, I was so touched by this, it didn't cost him anything. Why? He, was his power diminished when he finished, when he started? No. Was his creativity changed? And was there any, could he have carried on creating for eternity? Of course he could, because he's eternal. Was he tired? Is his power been, did he have to sit down and rest when he finished? No, he sat and looked at what he'd done. He was just, just enjoying what he'd made. Because he wouldn't be God. So it didn't cost him anything to build this whole of this earth. Everything. But for you, it cost him his son. Everything. Everything. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That's a wonderful thing. And that's what's happening when we go to people. We cook, we, this greater miracle, the great miracle of the new birth, it's such a miracle. It's the biggest miracle. You see, he, they, they didn't say, they didn't rejoice in heaven when the woman was healed. They didn't rejoice in heaven when the Lazarus was raised from the dead. But they rejoiced in heaven when one sinner, sinner repented. They rejoice in heaven when one sinner repents. You see... We have to get back to the old gospel. I'm getting talking to myself. 
We have to get back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel, not the wishy-washy-washy stuff. But it's him who does it. As we see, it's him who gets in people's lives. It's him who gets hold of people and changes them. It's him who's put his finger on their life and he picks them out from all the, all the morass of all the other fish. It's the wonderful God. He does it. It's this new life he's brought us into, the greater life, the greater thing, the greater thing of being one with the Eucharist. I mean, imagine, we were talking earlier on, of all the millions of people in this world, and he has a, he has a relationship with every one of us, and he treats us all as individuals. Well, I can't think about that with two or three people, <laughs> let alone, but that's God. He's so big. We need to get a bigger vision of what he's like. We don't talk about what God's like in the churches nowadays. He's glorious. He's omnipotent. He's, he's, he's solitariness. Who's heard preaching about God's solitariness? He doesn't need anybody. He's complete in himself. Doesn't need you. Doesn't need me. He was complete in himself, or else he'd be something less. He doesn't need us. And they say, oh, God needs us in heaven. No, he doesn't. He doesn't need us. Because he... Because he's complete in himself. It's wonderful when you start thinking about the glories of what God is really like. How majesty he is and glorious and he's come down and he says, I want you to walk with me. I want you to walk as I walked. That's what he says. And that's what he says in Matthew. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He wants us to walk with him. Walk how he walked. How did he walk? It says, let's, let's read a little bit. I think it's in, there's lots of places, I haven't got them all written down, I didn't want to read too many out. And John, we'll finish here, John 5. It's so wonderful. That Jesus is so The Son of Man, this is John 5, 19, I say, verily, verily, when Jesus says verily, verily, Take note. If you go and look at all the verily, verilies, you'll get a real blessing. <laughs> I sound to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, and for what forever he does, these the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son, and shows him, him all the things him, he himself does, and he will show him greater works that you may marvel. Right? No. That's it. That's how we walk. He, he walked... Like that. Now, I don't believe, you see here people look, they look at the the woman at the well, maybe, and they try and analyse how Jesus spoke to the woman and say, well, we should do this, we should do that, and how we, 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 but didn't. I I think Jesus, all God said to him, he said, I have needs to go to Samaria. So he said, oh, we'll go to Samaria, all right, we'll go to Samaria. And when he got to Samaria, he sat down at the well, and the woman came, and then the Lord started speaking. You see, you remember when he was at the the feet, the, 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 um, uh, Cana and, and, and the, the wedding feast, Mary come to him and he said, come on Jesus, you, you can do something about this. And he said, what have I got to do with you, woman? Well, it's nothing to do with me. Well, Father hadn't spoken to him. She says, do whatever he says. And between that time, Jesus said, Father's spoken in his ear. And he said, do this. And I think that's how Jesus walked. He didn't know it all beforehand. I don't believe he did. He just walked. 
He knew inside. He knew in his Noah. And that's how he... He's walked that way. He understands what it is to walk that way. And he says, you can walk the same. Just like that. He said, walk as I walk. Follow me. Follow the way I lived. And you'll become fishers of men. Isn't it wonderful? He said, I'll make you fishers of men. I'll do it. I'll do it. As you find... It's so, it's so totally different. It's living from him here. Him, just one with him. I've seen this. Am I have entered into it? I've hardly, hardly begun. But that's not, the, that's not the point. The point is that we're pressing towards this high goal of, of walking with God, hearing what he's saying in a daily life. He knows what it's like to have to hear. He knows what it's like to have to hear in the middle of a... Of, you know, all these things going on around him. Every situation, he had just heard what Father said, did it there and then. And we can be the same. Now, we know we've got scripture which helps us, but that's just a broad picture. It keeps us corralled in the right way. That's why the word is really good, because it keeps us on the right path, instead of going off to the left and the right. Yeah. But the daily walk with Jesus is both. It's the spirit and the word, is it? It's very truly said. If we only have the word and no spirit, we dry up. And if we only have the spirit and no word, we blow up. We come off. We get, we get destroyed. And he's wonderful. So he's called us to be witnesses. And as we get the fullness of the Holy Ghost, we become witnesses. And that's what evangelism is about. Luke will tell that is it. He's just hearing, he sees people, and God shows something in his life, or something happens. And, it's e- and it becomes easy then, instead of being a struggle. He said it becomes a natural way of life. I didn't say, I didn't say anything to Alan's wife, his sister, his wife. His sister. God did something. I don't know how it happens. But that's the we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to work it all out. He didn't work it all out. He just knew where he was going. A new father knew what he was doing. So wherever he went, he knew, fa- he knew. The father knew what he was doing. And he knew he was going to the cross. But his daily life, I don't think he knew any more than we know. And that's a real comfort, because we know that we can just walk with him. So he said, walk as I walk. Just, just follow me, follow the way I live my life. Just be full of the Holy Ghost, because that's where it begins. Without the fullness of the Holy Ghost, you can't hear, you can't know. But when the Holy Ghost comes on you, it just works. Without even thinking about it, it works. Yeah, it just works. Holy Ghost just come and does the job for you. And that's the wonderful thing. He changes people's lives, not us. Thank you, Jesus.